Hi, thanks for tuning in to my very own podcast, Xiaxue No Filter, where I share with you my unfiltered opinion on what is going on with the world. Oh my god, I am mega triggered. You're offended your own Welcome back to my podcast and today we're going to be having a guest for the very first time we have with us Melissa Chen. She's the activist who helped Amos E get his asylum from the US but also the very person who helped get him arrested for child porn. So we have Melissa on the line. Hi Wendy, how are you? Hi. Okay, maybe a little introduction about yourself to our Singapore listeners. I guess uh, most Singaporeans would know me as the person who... Uh, uh, unfortunately helped Amos Yee uh, leave the country and, and attain asylum in, in the U.S. Although, really, you should thank his lawyers. I, I only had a very, very small part in this. I, I only just helped him arrange for his asylum papers, but the hard work actually belongs to his, uh, his lawyers. Um, I sort of uh, kind of came you know, into what I do in, 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 in human rights through the nonprofit world. I founded a organization with a, with a, a friend of mine who's an Iraqi refugee. And so I've kind of worked in this like human rights world, nonprofit world for a while. And recently I, I became a, a journalist. So I'm an editor at a British magazine called Spectator. Uh, and I write about anything from the culture wars to politics. Um, and so like even topics that you're very passionate about, I would say like, you know, I know you did this really, really great video about cancel culture. Uh, these are things I, I, I like to write about. I'm not, I'm not your typical, a lot of people would assume that, oh, just because I, you know, helped Amos was a Singapore activist, but I'm not like it's, it's you know, one of the things that I, I've always realized about this is that in, in terms of Singaporean politics, I know nothing and I don't live there. So why, you know, why kind of advocate and, and throw fire into the fuel? So I, I stay out of Singapore politics completely in terms of my writing and tweeting even. Ah, but you are actually Singaporean, right? I am. Yeah, I still have a Singapore passport. Okay. Um, oh. I am a US uh, green card holder. Ah, when do you move to the States? Uh, I started, I started university in 2020. 2005. So I've lived now as long as I have in the US and Singapore. It's like kind of like half my life actually was spent um, in the US, which I guess justifies my accent at this point. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Is there any reason why you left Singapore? Did you like not like living here? I guess I was always, um, yeah, the, the, the certain values that the United States uh, upholds are, are, you know, were, were definitely appealing. You know, I, I mean, as you know, you, you're probably like one of Singapore's biggest nonconformists. And I, mm -hmm. I tend to be drawn to people like that, obviously. I myself, you know, was always contrarian. I, I knew that I kind of had to get out to, at least for education, at least, you know, I, I don't know how, how, how long term I plan to, to be out of the country. But yeah, I, I wanted to be in a place where, you know, you could be an intellectual maverick and that was celebrated. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, of course, if, if you're well aware, you know, watching the, the way U.S. politics and the culture has kind of shifted, you know, I, I thought coming to America was, was going to be kind of uh, liberating and, and just completely, you know, free to be just different and weird and, and everyone will accept you because we, develop, we you know, cherish intellectual diversity. Um, but college campuses in the U.S. started to get more and more. They, they started to clamp down on people like that. Exactly. Like the woke culture. Right. Yeah. Uh, but that was later. You know, I, I think woke kind of came out in like 
2014, 2015. So I, you know, I'm lucky that I had a good, a good run in the, in the U.S. really experiencing what I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and kind of missed that. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about Amos E because recently he's in Singapore news again, right? Um, and of course you are mentioned and I think everyone's very curious about more like the human aspect of Amos, how he's like as a person and what was this whole process that happened and how, how his life was like in the States. Uh. So basically, maybe you can share your thoughts when you first found out about Amos getting arrested in 2015. Like, were you feeling like, you know, he was uh, sorry for him or like, you know, outraged at what was happening to him and what, what made you kind of decide to help him? Yeah, that's a very good question. So, you know, 2015, because, you know, Facebook always reminds you of your old posts, right? So I can actually see like what I wrote. I, I'm reminded about what I wrote on this day, mm-hmm. like when Lee Kuan Yew died, for example. And I actually wrote a tribute, you know, like I, I wrote about how, um, you know, this man was just responsible. There was a bit of like pride about, you know, I, I've always been critical of Singapore's like lack of political freedoms in some ways, especially on freedom of speech issues. But there's a lot of pride in like how this country is so unlikely. It's one of those like success stories in the world that just, it shouldn't exist. In theory, shouldn't exist. And yet it does against all odds. So I wrote a nice tribute. Um, and then like, of course, like shortly after Amos, he makes this video, a lot of profanity. He calls, you know, Lee Kuan Yew, horrible person, dictator, all this stuff. And, you know, maybe for a very small part in that video, like the video was quite long and only for 30 seconds, he said something about Christianity. And the next thing you know, he he gets uh, convicted of wounding religious feelings. Mm. You know, this is around the time when I myself like grew up in Singapore, like kind of in the evangelical Christian uh, community, kind of like my parents are very religious. I went to, you know, Methodist girls school, which is super Christian school. Mm-hmm. And I felt I was, I was like the only atheist that I knew. So, you know, by the time I got to the U.S., there was the rise of the new atheist kind of culture, right? Like um, yeah. intellectuals were write, writing books and it felt very freeing. Like, oh my gosh, all of a sudden it was okay to talk about this. I wasn't being, religion wasn't being stuffed down my face. And so I felt very uh, sort of, you know, like I needed to stand up for this kid because you know, the idea that like calling the followers of uh, Lee Kuan Yew, just like the followers of Jesus Christ, it's very innocuous statement. You know, if, mm. if he was a, a teenager anywhere else, this wouldn't have been an issue, right? Like teenagers, like look at the shit on TikTok nowadays, right? Like the, the people say crazy things all the time and, and it's everywhere that, that's allowed. But in, in, you know, Amos's case, I felt like this was the wrong, he said something at the wrong place, at the wrong time. And he got in prison for, for about four weeks. And this was like 16 years, he's like 16 years old. So not even like an adult, right? And he serves two weeks in like, they put him in like, I think the mental asylum, what do you call it? Like Wood, um, Woodbridge or something, right? Woodbridge, like, yeah, Woodbridge, that's right. Yeah, so they committed him to like a mental asylum, um, you know, and then, after that, they put him in an adult prison, which, you know, he's technically a juvenile. And yeah, he, he was being put in adult prison. So, you know, at that point, I was just, I definitely like saw myself in him and felt that injustice, like this guy was unfairly, um, unfairly mm. incar- incarcerated. It just wasn't necessary. And, and, and he was considered a child, um, you know, so all the human rights organizations, Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, 
they all came out in support of Amos. Um, and, and I guess what was very like shocking to me was how many Singaporeans justified this jailing. You know, they kept mm. saying like, oh, you know, Sing- Singapore's um, social fabric so fragile, we can't afford even this. Because they, they, that's what they did, right? They lodged police reports and then he ended up mm. getting arrested for that. But I was like, really? You don't think that the society that Lee built was strong enough to to withstand this little annoying kid? And And like, you know, he was kind of on the border of precocious and annoying, right? Like if you look at his yeah. old videos, a lot of people were calling him genius and this. Honestly, that was so his his brilliance was overrated. Like there's no question to me that that people saw in him or, or were like overrating how, how smart he was. Because maybe he showed, you know, he showed some deviant kind of uh, kind of intelligence, especially because he's so different than the typical Singaporean teenager. Mm-hmm. But he had this like narcissistic disorder. He definitely has what I what I think is oppositional defiance dis- disorder, which means like he just rebels. Like he's very hard to um, to to control. Like he's just a rebellious kid that rebels for the sake of it, right? Yeah, I think um, so. And, yeah, and I and I think a lot of us. I mean, at least me, I, I missed a lot of the signs. You know, like he. Yeah, like because I'm also not really following Singapore politics, right? So um, apparently he like later on, obviously this became apparent to me, but like he went to accuse his bailer of molesting him. Oh, All yeah. these are red flags. Yeah, all of these are red flags. I think we should get into a little bit more about his mental stuff later on. But like just at the start, like I guess the start, like a lot of Singaporeans um, just kind of conflated this feeling of how insensitive he was about the death of uh, someone who is very important to us, Mr. Lee. And uh, I, I think that they kind of, you know, let the emotions kind of overrun this this uh, logic of whether it is, uh, you know, he should go to jail or not for, um, you know, what he did. And I think, you know, for me personally, I don't don't think that he 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 caused any kind of like racial disharmony because everyone was just dismissing him as kind of being crazy and also because of how he he reacted after that he was super defiant he continued posting a lot of things that were just like really rude and the things that he did and then like sort of a lot of things were overshadowing it because when he was brought to jail I think uh, brought to court or something somebody actually gave him a slap on the face and then that that yeah so you know stuff like that just became part of the news and people don't really focus so much on you know specifically whether the crime or the punishment fits the crime yeah the people weren't focusing so much on that but more on well he seems like an asshole so I don't really care about him right so and I think a little bit yeah a little bit of this still like that right now people are not so much focusing on the free speech part but more on you know how he, he seems like a terrible person so let's just now you mentioned about how he he um you know accused his bailer of like molest and that to me was just a huge red flag also as in to how his character is like how can you turn on someone who is kind of helping you like that and how do you feel about people kind of saying the same thing about you right now like you have helped him and you mentioned that he's no longer in contact with you he's kind of used you and dumped you kind of thing so can you tell us a little bit more about that no I wouldn't say he, he uh, I mean in a way I think we, we all kind of use each other right like I, I mean I, I'm sure like 
you know, people would say like, oh yeah, I'm sure like she was just doing this for her own agenda or whatever. Why? I don't feel so. Well, that's the thing. I, I mean, I really genuinely believe that, that he was wrongly um, incarcerated as a child at 16 for what he did. You know, it was pointless. We, we ended up drawing more attention to his stupid rant. Like I would never have seen his YouTube video if, if he wasn't, you know, being hauled off to jail. I mean, this is what we call the Streisand effect, right? And we see that on the internet today. Whenever Twitter or Facebook bans a story, everyone goes to go try and read it because it just generates more more smoke, right? And now he's like, okay, where's the fire? Um, and it's the same way with Amos. In fact, he got all this attention, you know, and, and, and it seems to me that he kept trying to push what that limit of attention was, right? So after, you know, uh, insulting Lee Kuan Yew and, and going to jail for that obscene cartoon, right? That Mark with Margaret Thatcher and, and, and the stick figure drawing. He ends up insulting Islam and Christianity like one year later, and then going to jail again for that. You know, so he keeps raising the bar of mm. uh, of, of just incorrigible behavior. And you know, I mean, I guess at that point, I'm just like, okay, on principle, this is somebody that needs the freedom to thrive because I just saw him as a deviant child that the, the Singapore state was trying to to quash, you know, like he's annoying, he's saying things that annoy people. Um, and if he was just born any, you know, outside of this, the border, maybe not in Pakistan, but, you know, outside, like in the mm-hmm. West, he would actually be a kind of normal kid. Um, so, you know, I was obviously hoping he would uh, he had so many opportunities, you know, like when, when he first came to the U.S. and and his asylum case was being in process, I, he had an invitation to go to Harvard University to speak. Like he had a really good set of opportunities to turn his life around. Like in a way, he was give, given free reign. In the U.S., he's protected by the First Amendment, which grants him the freedom, you know, freedom of speech and freedom of religion. Um, and so... Uh, it, for some reason, he didn't, um, he really didn't take advantage of any of those opportunities. He just, he's his own worst enemy, you know? Yeah, and yeah. when, when the one thing he cannot stand is authority. So when he was retained um, in, in detention as his asylum case was being processed, I kept telling him, you know, Amos, this is what you should do. This is what you, you know, how your life should be. You're in America now. Trust me, I've been here myself for like eight, nine years as an immigrant. This is how, you know, life is here. Please follow these steps. He hates that. Like Amos is one of those people, like you cannot tell him what to do. And if you do, you're, you know, you're an asshole. And so he started sort of really reacting against me, calling him, calling me sort of like a tyrant or like trying to control his life. And so at that point, I was just like, okay, you know what? He didn't want to talk to me anymore. I washed my hands off him. Um, I still had a friend that was kind of helping me, you know, kind of uh, as a liaison in between because he also lived in Chicago. But other than that, like, that's when I I lost contact with him. It's actually because Amos felt that I was um, being too authoritarian with him. Because you were like sort of giving him life advice on like, hey, don't say this kind of stuff. And, you know, you should kind of, you know, maybe do work and earn some money or stuff like that where you... Yeah, exactly. Because he had all these opportunities. And I'm like, right. you know, people would be so lucky to be in your position, but then obviously they wouldn't be in that position because they wouldn't be that dumb. Yeah, right. <laughs> but at least he didn't accuse you of raping him. So, I mean, <laughs> that's something to be happy about. <laughs> you know, actually, so I've never, I only met him once. It was during his, 
he was actually being um, it was during his house arrest. So he was allowed to serve the, the last few weeks of his um, second jail term in Singapore at home. Mm-hmm. Okay. And at the time I was in Singapore and I brought uh, I had with me the forms for his lawyers and for the asylum process application. So I visited him at his home and and gave the papers to him. You know, I think we only met for like maybe half an hour, but he was clearly under surveillance for sure. There's no question. Mm-hmm. Ankle bracelet and everything. So, but that was the first time I met him. I met his mom. Um, and uh, at that time, he seemed, when I first met him, he was different. Like he, um, I guess maybe he was also just like playing it up because, you know, I was kind of bringing him in a, an opportunity to get out of the country. So he was really playing nice. He seemed like a normal kid. He was very eager to hear, you know, like, oh, what's it like in America and everything. He was, he seemed to be excited. But then at the end, he said, you know, I remember when I was leaving him, he said he wasn't sure. Maybe he wanted to stay in Singapore to fight, you know. So I left without, I left his HDB flat without knowing whether or not he was going to come. And then oh. all of a sudden, one, one day he shows up in Chicago and I get this call, Francis, Francis call. Um, oh my gosh, Amos gets detained. And I was like, you didn't, you know, I see, that's the thing. I, I had given him instructions. If you're flying to the United States, buy a round trip, don't buy a one-way ticket. They won't question you because you've got to be on U.S. soil to claim asylum. And right. he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't even reach out to me to tell me he's coming because I would have, you know, helped him. Um, wow, and so again, stupid. this is another, yeah, another red flag that this person cannot follow instructions. It's completely erratic. Yeah. Um, and as for his mental state, by the time he got to the U.S., something was wrong. Like my friend who actually saw him right after he got released from jail, he told me like he would hold all his belongings in some like garbage bag and mm-hmm. he will walk around like holding his stuff to his chest and just talk to himself like he has, he has as if he had Tourette's syndrome. Like he would just oh. random outbursts, talk to himself. Yeah. And it was you know, at that point, we were just like, huh, does he have some sort of mental illness that like his, you know, his mom and all that didn't tell us about? It seemed, it seemed likely um, based on how he was behaving. It was very weird. And you will love this story. I have to tell the story. <laughs> yes, please. So when he was living by himself, so, you know, obviously he had to get an apartment and everything right in the U.S. When my friend went to visit him one day, he, he found bottles of urine everywhere in his apartment. Oh my God, that is so creepy. Yeah, because, you know, and then he asked like, oh, what's going on? And he said, oh, because he was gaming a lot. I don't know what he was doing on the internet. And he's like, oh, I, I'm just uh, trying to be efficient. I didn't want to go to the restroom. He's just peeing in bottles and leaving that around. And to the point where his roommates had, to, they kicked him out because who wants to have a roommate like that? Right. So was it like really stinky? Like, was he like in a state of like, he just smells bad or like, I mean, his hair just looks like he's homeless and stuff. So, wow. right. I, I, I don't know because I never, I never met him. Remember, I only met him once yeah, in yeah, Singapore yeah. when he was in jail. Um, yeah, no, my friend told me that it was, it reeked so bad. Like, it was like he's never seen anybody with worse hygiene. Um, and he just built a, a profile of this guy. You know, this, it's, he has these um, rebellious, anti authoritarian kind of attitudes. He, uh, you know, people think he's independent coming to America to live, but turns out, no, he's struggling to live by himself. Um, Mm -hmm. He is irresponsible. He's unhygienic. um, And he has narcissistic uh, personality disorder, for sure. 
Right. So like just now you mentioned about the you you met the the parents or just the mom? I just met his mom, Mary. Uh-huh. And and how 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 is she how she like like you know I think people are just curious like you know because he was a child when you know um everything happened and I guess people want to know like what kind of parenting did he have to cause him to become like that so that we don't make the same mistakes you know yeah I I mean she's she's very passive and quiet and mm-hmm. I feel bad because I think Amos not like verbally he tends to verbally abuse her he I can see that. He doesn't respect her whatsoever. He uses her. And obviously she loves her son and covers for him all the time. And I know that, you know, there's a bit of a split between how she treated him and coddled him in a way and and how the rest of the family felt like, you know, she shouldn't have been doing that. It's like the biggest curse on earth to have a child like that. You know, I don't know. Obviously, on hindsight, what could have been done? You know, is this a person that you could have just cut the internet off early? You know, like, I mean, sure, right? Like, this person is living under your house. I don't see why that, you know, more more tiger parenting sort of tactics wouldn't have helped. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, he's so rebellious, like, yeah. you know, and he's, he's kind of manipulative emotionally, or he, at least he thinks that he is. And if you are of a weak character like you're meek and you you know maybe you love your son too much and he's kind of controlling he can be manipulative and I think I mean clearly he is that you know that's kind of what made him successful at committing a crime he he manipulated definitely a a 14 year old to uh you know allegedly uh send him some picture right so like the, uh, the mom, since we're on that topic, like she asked you to apologize and take down your video about Amos, right? Like, so uh, how do you feel about that? Like, is she in the States with, was she in the States with him, staying with him? Or was he kind of alone? She was, no, she's in Singapore. But um, because Amos's, all his social media was, accounts were deleted, mm-hmm. the only way he could really communicate with the world was through his mom. You know, I, I, there was a time when that's what he was doing. He would his mom would call him and then he would say, Hey, can you post this? So I, I have, you know, I, I'm very sure that that message was not written by Mary. It was written by Amos, passed oh. on to Mary and asked, and I'm sure because she will not do something like that. She would listen to her son and just, you know, he, he would say like, Oh, um, I need to send out this message. It's very important. Um, can you just like type this out from your account? Um, right. and so Yeah. That's probably what happened. It seems like the dad has kind of like is estranged with the family because I remember when he was first convicted, the dad, there was this news about how he refused to wear a certain type of attire to court, which you have to wear like long pants or something like that. I can't remember. And it does seem like he was very disapproving of how Amos was behaving. And from the article, I don't know whether it was true, but the mom was like kind of, you know, neutral or kind of siding him. Right, right. She was more like coddling him. And like, you know, Amos wrote in a blog post a long time ago, and some people have flagged this, but the problem is obviously his blog has been taken down, so it's hard to verify. But apparently he 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 did reference the fact that he was disciplined a lot by his dad um, growing up. And so, you know, again, do we trust what Amos writes? Yeah, I, I mean, at this point... Uh, it's you know take everything that ever came out from his mouth with a grain of salt yeah not a grain like the whole ocean of salt I think (laughs) 
It, I feel so bad. I feel so bad for that pastor who helped him. I mean, he actually forked out money and told people to, you know, that Christians are not upset with Amos for what he wrote and help him get bail. And then it turned around, he, he's accusing the, the pastor of being a child molester. And it was just like, oh my God, like really, you would go there? It's so horrible. No, no. And the irony is like, obviously he knew at that point that, that pedophilia is wrong. Or else why accuse him of that, right? And, and then he grows up to be the biggest, like he grows up to be a prominent pedophile. Like it's just, you know, it's the Spider-Man pointing to the Spider-Man meme. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, just wanted to ask you like, you know, like, so after he was granted the asylum, like I guess people wanted to know like, how did he continue staying in the States? Was he staying in, like how did he earn money to feed himself, you know? He, I mean, you can live pretty cheaply. I think he was living in some sort of, I, he had, like I said before, he had a roommate situation. So he was living with people in some sort of uh-huh. basement apartment um, until obviously the roommates had to, they drove him out. <laughs> so he had to get his own place. But, you know, because his Patreon was canceled, right? Because of his pedophile stuff or whatever. I don't know. I don't know why specifically each channel was canceled, but presumably he got so provocative. He kept advocating, you know, more, more, like provocative ideas to the point that people kept reporting his channels, his YouTube channel, and then it gets canceled. So from what I understand, you know, once YouTube got canceled and once Patreon got canceled, he had no more income streams in America. Mm. But that meant he also had, he was being driven underground, right? So he was running these like Discord servers or whatever the hell he was doing. And, and at this point starts going deep down the rabbit hole into like organizing, you know, and for advocating for pedophilia. So he's part of these this crazy uh, social justice movement, I think, to to legitimize pedophilia as a sexual orientation. So you know, like LGBTQIA plus plus whatever. Mm-hmm. He like people like him wanted to put the P at the end of this. This is the kind of thing that he was talking about and defending and debating people on YouTube and children can consent. Why are we, you know, like really awful things. I don't even want to repeat them because we just discussed yeah. them. And, and so like he loses his income because of that, but, but then he goes down pedophilia advocacy. And I suspect he was making money from that somehow because perverts, perverts probably found him. And, you know, I, I, there is a world of, if you go deep enough of sick people wanting to legitimize their sickness and they, you know, they could be paying him. Right. So I suspect that he had some other income stream from there, mm-hmm. uh, from these like activities. Um, but I also know that his mom was wiring money to support him. Ah, I see. Well, that is that is very scary. I mean, so I, I saw in your video that you did mention that, you know, he is, um, so, you know, on the topic of free speech, right? I guess some people have, you know, the question of, you know, at what you, you're, uh, um, you know, um, um, supporter of free speech, but like at what point do you kind of draw the line? And you also mentioned that, you know, is there some kind of like uh, hypocrisy to that? Because, you know, once it is speech that you don't accept, then you no longer support free speech. But uh, I think you did make a point that you said that he was actively organizing to promote pedophilia. So I guess that's what you meant, right? By the Discord server. So maybe you can talk a little bit more about, you know, people who are accusing you of being a hypocrite. Like, what do you say to that? Um... I mean, you know, the thing about free speech is, is uh, even in the U.S., there are limits to that. 
So, you know, the First Amendment uh, guarantees your, your uh, technically your freedom of speech and freedom of religion, but up to a point, right? So, for example, the very famous point that is spelled out in law is you cannot yell fire in a crowded theater because doing so will cause a stampede. And that is, an, you know, you're basically, your speech has a direct consequence to incite imminent uh, danger. So that's where the line of speech is drawn. So like, you know, technically, if you, if I tweet right now something that incites people to take up arms and, and, uh, you know, go into the White House, for example, I will be arrested. That's the bounds of free speech in America. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are also other bounds. Like, uh, you know, I cannot defame. Like, you can still file defamation suits. You can file libel suits. So, you know, that's another, that's another boundary of speech. Um, and then in terms of, you know, obscenity, obviously private platforms are allowed to do whatever they want because they're private platforms. Um, but, you know, pedophilia is a crime in America. You know, this is based on the idea that children are not allowed to consent. They're not developed enough to consent and we need to protect them. Um, And so the law is very clear on where the line is and Amos crossed that line. There's no question about it. Um, And he repeatedly tried to justify, you know, why um, he thinks that, that, you know, children should be able to to consent, which is just flat out, you know, flat out against what what the U.S. law is. Well, okay, I'm just going to play the devil's advocate here. But, um, you know, my personal opinion is that, of course, I agree with you. And I, I, you know, living in Singapore, we have a lot less limited, like, freedom of speech here. And, you know, to a certain degree, like, you know, I definitely don't, uh, I'm not like a, I wouldn't say I'm a complete, like, free speech uh, advocate because, uh, well, advocate, right? <laughs> that, that's the word. Yeah, mm. because I, I do see the benefits of them kind of banning certain things that people say, which is, I feel that, you know, in, in USA, because people are allowed to say all kinds of things, like it has resulted in a very sort of divisive environment to a certain degree. Um, so anyway, but I'm just going to play devil's advocate here to ask you this question. If, if Amos were to just say that he thinks that children can consent, that technically does not incite anything. Would he then be, you know, should, should his speech then be limited on that part? Um, by the government, it means that he cannot be arrested yet because he's just saying it. So I think that that was the that's the problem. But unfortunately, unfortunately, the problem was that there had to be evidence um, that he did something rather than just said something. And 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 so you know for for a while, even though he was putting out all these YouTube videos and debates justifying it, as you said, um, he had not committed a crime. So, you know, the, he cannot be jailed. Uh, we have to wait for evidence uh, that, that he was indeed hosting some of this material. So, you know, this is one of those problems because he, his whole life has been just constantly pushing that bar, right? Oh, you cannot criticize uh, Lee Kuan Yew, criticize. You, you cannot criticize Christianity or Islam. And then he does what he does. Um, and he's like, keep finding, it, you know, it's like there's this pattern where he goes and he, he finds the next big, like, sacred cow to slaughter. And then once right. that's slaughtered, he gets jailed, he looks for the next one. And so a lot of people actually initially didn't take his, his uh, word seriously. 
So are you sure he really supports pedophilia? Like, you know, is he just trying to get a rise out of people? Because that's just his hobby. He just wants to be the most annoying asshole the world has ever seen. (laughs) Right? Troll. Correct. And so, you know, it's one of those things. But but then I guess on my end, and maybe this is like, I don't know, I call it the female instinct or whatever. There was a bit more of like, all right, anybody that believes this hard about what he's trying to advocate for is either a pedophile himself or, you know, or else why, or else why is he so sympathetic to it? Like, you know, should it really be that he's that contrarian that he wants to pick this fight and why, then why this fight? You know, I mean, and then people point out to me like, Oh, you know, this is just the last one that's taboo in Western society to some extent. Like, you know, I guess, even though it wasn't clear at that point, like whether he's doing it for the sake of just, you know, for the lulls um, or whether he really believed it. In my view, I definitely felt responsible because if it was the former, innocent people are going to get harmed. So I better treat it like it's the former. I guess that was my thought process. That's why I made that video because, you know, the, the, the consequence of the first option, if true, was far more problematic. So I'd rather him not even be here i i would i you know of course that wasn't enough to deport him yet we do you know it's like minority report you cannot you can uh, that's the kind of the arguments that i got from a lot of singaporeans after this whole thing came out it's like yeah i see you should have known never to help this person and it's like how would i know that this person would go on to commit a crime in the u.s we were concerned about are completely divorced from um what he ended up doing Right. Like that, that happened that he didn't have to do that. Like he had free will. He could have chosen to live his life very differently. We never, you know, in an ideal world, mm-hmm. we would never have heard Amos E again. Right. But unfortunately we did. And, you know, and, and it's even worse that there are victims actually. So how, how do you react when you first heard about his views on uh, pedophilia? Were you like, oh my God, not this guy that I helped? Yeah, I was, oh my God. But again, there were some people, because you know, the, the atheist kind of people that were, a lot of them were very sympathetic to Amos because, you know, again, this is a guy that was, was jailed for criticizing religion, right? He, he found natural allies in the atheist community, which by the way, uh, reminds me of how I came to know that guy that you and I share common enemy with which is Danarell. Oh right. Um because <laughs> that actually came out from the the, the whole like atheist circle. Um but um that's kind of how um Amos in particular like I guess he got known on the conference circuit because of this uh, atheist circle. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the people were just like sympathetic. They're just like okay this guy just criticized religion, you know, and he gets jailed for it. Like we want to fight for a world where where that's possible because religion is just an idea. It's not an identity. We're not making fun of your, your immutable characteristic, which is your race. We're just criticizing ideas because ideas are like politics. If you cannot criticize someone's idea, which is religion, then how can you criticize someone else's politics? Right. I agree with you. Mm. Yeah. Because <laughs> when I first saw his video um, on YouTube, which obviously has been taken down now, he mentioned that, you know, he thinks that even babies can consent because they can chuckle to show that they agree with you fiddling with them. And I was just like, is he is he trolling? And then I, I watched the whole thing and I was just like, he's not. He's not joking. He's like 
super serious about it. Yeah, so I, I when I saw it, I was just like, well, in his, in his video, he mentioned that he is not a pedophile and it's hard to imagine him as one because he still looks like a child. So, uh, you know, it's like after that, years later, when it's shown that he has like child porn on his computer, it's just like, okay, well, nobody's surprised. Right, nobody, nobody <laughs> saw that coming. You're 100% right, actually, that um, it, it, I think that was the most shocking thing at, Especially the, you know, when he took the argument to a logical extreme, right? Because I think there was a way, let's say you're somebody that like are concerned about Romeo and Juliet laws, um, which in the U.S. is basically allows, like, let's say you are 15 years old and your boyfriend is like 17 years old and you met and you both fell in love and you're dating. I, I, you know, I think some exceptions to the laws are, are carved out. So if, if you're 17 and 15, you fall in love, even though you're both under 18, um, if you had a relationship, it, that wouldn't be considered a statutory rape, for example, right? Um, but Amos when, was, was not arguing these edge cases. He was not arguing, um, you know, maybe we got to look at some of these laws and more relaxed because, I don't know, this is very common in the gay community and for a lot of gay um, people, you mm-hmm. know, having a relationship with an older man is how to get out of their family situation, right? So, mm-hmm. like, there, there were ways to argue this that maybe somebody could have, you know, said, like, okay, you know what, I see the edge case and, you know, maybe these laws were um, arbitrary. But that's not what he did. You know, he was justifying this morally, saying children can consent. Like he went way, way above and beyond to the point where I, I think, you know, when seeing that, that's when I was just like, okay, I, this guy needs to be completely disavowed. He needs to be debunked. He needs to be disavowed. He needs to be deported for three days. <laughs> Please don't deport him back to us. We don't want him. <laughs> the US has uh, plenty of terrible people. They can keep him. It's just one more. <laughs> that's true, <laughs> So uh, have you seen that um, nude picture of him that's kind of floating around? Because someone sent it to me. I was just like, what the hell? Yeah, cannot unsee, right? But it's not fully nude, right? It's fully nude. It's fully nude. It's, um, I don't think I saw that. Okay, well, I'm just going to describe it to you. It's like he's standing in front of his fridge um, and just completely naked. Uh he looks like a kid, so it's a bit uh, disturbing, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he's, he's not underage in that photo. Long hair like Tazen. Uh, and then he's just like um, holding up a thumbs up sign. And it's not sexual in any way. It's just him like looking very gleeful and just standing there. Hey, I'm mute with a thumbs up sign. So I was wondering if you knew anything about why there was a naked photo of him just kind of floating around. I'm sure that's something he must have sent or posted. Um, but no, I, the only, I did see something, but I thought it was blurred out. So I didn't see, thank heavens, didn't see the, the package because I would, yeah, I might have to dig my eyeballs out. But somebody sent me, I, I, it is that photo, but I think it was blurred out for some reason. So I, I didn't actually right. see the, the thing. <laughs> it is very small. <laughs> <laughs> do this to himself <laughs> but uh, it, it, I, why you know again like this is somebody who's like trying to he's he's trying to like just do the things that people don't like and that are unacceptable by any normal social norms right like he keeps like trying to do these things and, and, and take these positions and, and it turns out that that's 
actually who he is. Right. So let's talk a little bit more about the current case of the child porn on his computer. And I believe you have more information about that. But you did mention that it's an ongoing case. So maybe you can't talk too much about it. But maybe just kind of tell us what happened. How do you know? Did someone send it to you? What do you see? Mm. Yeah, no, I, I'm a witness in this case. So I can't really say too much about it. But um, mm-hmm. whatever's out in the press, you know, is out, I can I can talk about it. So I think this happened actually last year. And um, mm-hmm. it was on Twitter. So somebody kept tagging me, you know, kind of flagging my attention. You need to know about this. Uh, that guy you brought in was is ho- being horrible. And, you know, it was one of those things where I usually, because, you know, a lot of anonymous uh, things go on on Twitter, right? And it's like, right. should you respond? Should you not respond? A lot of haters, whatever. And at that point, I remember thinking to myself, like, okay, if this is true, though, I need to, I need to get to the bottom of this. Because right. remember, I was already I was already like wary of the things he was posting. If if there was actual evidence that he did anything, like okay, this is the our chance to put him behind bars. So I respond. I follow this person back. I respond, and I found out that there's a whole uh, community of people. They call themselves map hunters. Mm-hmm. Um, map is just a very nice way of saying pedophile. I don't even right. think that sh- that word should exist. They should just say pedophile hunters. And mm. what they do is uh, they they literally go and entrap these people. They they find pedophiles. They call them up. They get them canceled. Like this is good cancel culture because <laughs> they're hunting these people, right? Like and right. they're trying to see like, okay, can we bring this person to 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 law to justice? Um, and so this anonymous person who I met on Twitter gets in touch with me. I follow, I follow them back. And so now we can DM mm-hmm. and we take the conversation off, uh, you know, into email and everything. I, I, I think I spoke to this person on the phone once. Um, and of course, you know, when somebody brings an allegation like that, you know, Hey, I have a victim. I think Amos was involved in this and you should know my, my first instinct is, all right, I need to verify the story. You know, I said, can, can I talk to her? Can I talk to the victim? And, uh, I ended up talking to her, um, you know, verified the story it was it's disturbing um to know that he did this to somebody and then i got evidence right so like uh we're looking at text messages uh and and luckily this the person who you know was responsible for 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 bringing us me uh bringing attention to this case basically knew what what he or she was doing um you know he or she said to me be careful. I'm not going to send you the pictures because even though I'm sending you all this evidence, if you even have the picture hosted on your computer, mm-hmm. um, you would be guilty of hosting child porn on your computer. They set, they sent me all the text messages, but like re- with the pictures redacted. Right. So like this person, I don't even know who this person is, by the way, still to this day. I definitely want to, you know, all thanks to, to this one individual who just cared enough for this victim and reached out. We were able to, you know, I took I took all of this stuff. I immediately went to the Department of Homeland Security. Um, I had a friend that worked in the department. I said, hey, um, I think I have evidence now, you know, smoking gun. What do I do? And so, yeah, it, it was the whole process contacting them interviews, you know, um, they had to verify their side of the story to get more information. So that thing took like a year, maybe, because this has, wow. I, you know, the, the first contact only came like last summer. And then it's been a year since, um, uh, till Amos was arrested. So it took that long to build the case. 
So that, that girl was an ex-girlfriend of his, right? Who was 14 at that time. So were you speaking with her as well? Um, yes, because I needed to verify her, right. her story. And also at that point, you know, oh, man, like what a 14-year-old girl who like goes through that probably has a lot of trauma. And I just wanted to make sure like she was okay. You know, like yeah. her, I spoke to her mom as well. And uh, I, I forget, I mean, like, I guess when you and I were 14, like, and on the internet, I forget what that's like, like, you know, um, to be so, to be on the internet at such a young, influential mm -hmm. age. I, I was afraid that, like, I mean, it's very hard for victims to come forward. Very, very hard, right? Because the shame, the trauma, what more a 14 year old who, like, knows that this is going to blow up in the press? I wanted to make sure that she could talk to somebody, that she, you know, felt comfortable because, and, and that she was doing the right thing. I think that was the most important part. So it's like, hey, yeah, right. you're doing the right thing. I know this is hard, but there are others. I know there are others. And, you know, with these like perpetrators, with these predators, it never is just one girl. Them, you can rest assured there's more. And I'm hoping we find more, you know, I'm really, really mm -hmm. hoping because then we can really throw the book at him and say like, all right, you need to go to jail for a much longer time. Right. So, but his, what, laptop and stuff are in, like, the police possession now, right? Like They're combing through everything. One of the <laughs> problems, though, and I will say this, is that, is that, like, because a lot of the, his blog was deleted, his YouTube channels, it's kind of hard to find some of these things. So to do the investigative work, actually, because all the platforms censored his stuff and just deleted his account, actually made it hard for us to put the case together. I'm sure, I'm sure the authorities can subpoena, maybe it's lying on some server somewhere, but when there's an open trail of shit, because he was so obviously saying all these terrible things and admitting things like, you know, in that very, like, he's not a very smart guy. He would, he, like, there are, you know, screen caps of his comments, a trail of breadcrumbs he leaves on the internet just basically admitting to dating a, a young girl, right? Breaking up with a young girl. So you have evidence. And, but because all of these, his accounts were deleted, videos are gone. Um, it's, it's harder to, to, to put the case together. So the, has he actually met the girl or did anything with her, you think? Not to my knowledge. I, I, don't, I don't know if they met because they lived very far mm -hmm. apart. But I think there were plans. I think there were plans to, to meet up. Just, just the possession of child porn is enough to convict yeah. you. I mean, you shouldn't be flirting with someone who's 14 anyway. Right. Um, one more thing that kind of stood out to me in, in the article about this issue was that the girl, the article said that their relationship soured, which is when she kind of like turned on Amos and they, it, it somehow painted this, this image that she was out for revenge and it was like she, she didn't do it out of like, you know, like she thinking it was the right thing to do or, or whatever. It was just because, you know, Amos didn't treat her right or something like that. What do you think about that? I remember reading that. But mm. I, you know, I'm not the one that conducted the interview with her in person. You know, all, the authorities did all that. Maybe that's something that came up in the interview. But I mm -hmm. did not know anything about that part. Like, that part actually surprised me about why she decided to come forward. I, I didn't know that. You know, I mean, I guess I never questioned it when, when I started talking to her. I just, you know, when we when I started talking, my goal was just to make sure that what she was saying was true and make sure emotionally she was okay and I hope psychologically she's you know at least going to be to to be restored and can heal from this experience but mm -hmm. um I didn't ask her about like what caused that change of heart and you know I mean again like to be 14 young girl like th there's a lot of evidence that even like even social media is just really really bad for young girls 
um, mm. in terms of self-esteem, like suicide has gotten, you know, like there's like a, if you look at suicide among teen girls in about the year 2011 or 12, it's a huge spike. There's like a hockey stick kind of curve that goes up all of a sudden and it's only girls. You don't see it with boys. Um, you know, and this is the work of uh, Jonathan Haidt, the psychologist. And his theory is that this is something that social media and being on the internet, you know, cyberbullying, self-esteem issues, um, that's what it, you know, that's what it causes. So if you really have low self-esteem, you meet somebody, you know, potentially emotionally manipulative, like an older 18-year-old guy who like lives far away, but, you know, he's manipulative. Imagine like, you know, you fall in love. He's telling you all these compliments. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, there's a bit like maybe a Stockholm syndrome situation also. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I can only, I'm only theorizing cause I don't know what it's like to, to be in her head, but I'm trying to understand, um, you know, that kind of, uh, impression, what it's like to be at that age and just exposed to a monster like, like him. So like some, some, like um, one of the, the articles that's talking about this Amos E issue actually enriched a lot of people because someone was suggesting that it is Singapore's kind of system that caused Amos to become crazy. Like, um, and, and also I think in your video, you mentioned how like after the ICE detention that he kind of became even worse, like his condition became even worse. Like to what certain, like to what degree would you say that, you know, Amos being a complete like uh, asshole is you know, his own personal responsibility and how much of it is kind of because he is just not meant to be in a society that is, you know, has authority or something like that. This is like, you know, if anyone can really answer this question accurately, then they figured out the nature versus nurture problem. To to what extent is our, you know, fate tied up to the genetic slate that we're born with? And then to mm-hmm. what extent is it, you know, with our environment? And I don't really think those two things are antagonistic necessarily, like tug of war mm-hmm. between nature and nurture. I think they act together. So, you know, you're born with a certain set of, of um, uh, circumstances, genetically, um, mm-hmm. a range of outcomes, and you have tendencies. Like, you know, like, I mean, you, know, you have a kid, you can see like, okay, from the time my kid is young, you know, and especially if you have a few kids, you can compare, you know that kids are different and they start showing that very early and you've treated them all the same. So, you, you know, there's, there's this sense that, of course, genetics plays a role. Um, but what do you do with a kid who is just, you know, uh, so like in terms of the normal distribution of the human condition, just so, what an outlier, right? Like he is just different. He's difficult. Like there's a profile of him that I think we can build up. We know that he had a hard time making friends in school. Like he, he was really almost like ostracized or shunned. So he's maybe potentially on the autistic spectrum, right? He had issues integrating in school. He clearly wasn't listening to his parents. Mm-hmm. And then they didn't do anything to stop that. Or maybe were using the wrong method to stop this kind of behavior. You know, I, I, I mean, I am no, no expert in parenting. I'm actually quite a big fan of tiger parenting, which is not popular these days. I know a lot of people are parents need to stop telling their kids they're special. I mean, and right. that's probably what happened to Amos. He really believed he was special and nobody told him he wasn't. Yeah, when he got famous, he, 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 he that, that just kind of got really drilled into him that he is special because everyone was paying so much attention to him. And why would you pay attention to someone unless they're special, you know? 
Right. And and by the way, his specialness was like apparently he was a movie star. Like he was um he did something with like Jack Neal or something, right? Yeah. He was a child actor. Yeah. Yeah, and he mm-hmm. won some awards and people were just like, Oh, look at this kid, he made this video in his bedroom. And so, you know, you mix everything together and then and and this like he felt I'm sure he felt trapped in Singapore that like his limitations and his potential to think and take intellectual risks were were very much diminished in Singapore. So you have mm-hmm. all these forces interacting. He's rebellious. His parents are coddling him. Uh, society's telling him he's special. They're rewarding him, actually. And he just gets worse. I mean, he clearly has some... I wish he got treated earlier. Like, you know, by the time he goes to jail and he goes to Woodbridge, that was way, way too late. Do you think he's seeing a psych, um, psychologist, a psychiatrist when he's in the States? No, he did not. No, okay. they didn't. I mean, no, look no at this guy. Like, you know, this is something you would have to pay for. Like, you know, and also the US, we don't have um, uh, medical care that's like, it's expensive. Like you actually have to, to pay right. a lot of money for that. Well, why won't he just go get a job in the States? I mean, he just spends his time just like gaming and peeing into bottles and talking to teenage girls. <laughs> He thinks he's too good. That's okay. This is like number one thing that already turned me off with him from the beginning. Actually, it was just that like he has this attitude of entitlement that he's so special and just so creative and just so you know that a job is beneath him. Like he had this attitude that was just school is beneath him because I encouraged him to go to college and I told him I said hey. If you want to go, you know, you need a degree to, to do anything in America. To, you also need a network, right? Because you don't know anyone here. Your, your parents don't live here. And I'm certainly not going to, you know, be there to hold your hand. So you're going to need your own social network. You've got to go to school. And you're in a position where universities will probably offer you full-ride scholarships. I have no doubt that Harvard would have given him. No. Why? Let me tell you why. Okay. Because uh, Amnesty International and all these other human rights organizations labeled him as the youngest prisoner of conscience in the world, meaning 16 years old, he was jailed for wrong think, right? So he, he was a special status that nobody else had in the world. And like, we, you know, that, that says a lot when, when you have really, really repressive countries like Saudi Arabia and Russia, and right. famous, he is the most repressed teenager. So you couple that with the fact that like, he was considered some sort of weird artistic genius that were glowing. I mean, if you ever have the time, you should read this New Yorker article um, about the genius of Amos Yee. Um, <laughs> oh, that sounds like it would make me puke. Well, it didn't age well, but he had all this press, right? And he was seen a certain way that he was so, he was such an, uh, an outlier genius, cinematic genius who made his own videos and, and, there was no question to me that he would get a full ride. Like his education would have been taken care of. He could be, he could be anything. He could have been anything, but he didn't want to. He felt work was beneath him. He's actually very lazy. Yeah. Like he just doesn't really know the value of hard work nor, nor see it. And is that surprising? His politics is actually, you know, he's like an, a narco communist, right? Like he's kind of like a total lefty politically. And I'm not. I'm actually totally opposite of him. Um, the only thing that I shared was, you know, a belief that nobody should be prosecuted for. For speech. 
Right. Yeah. And narco communist, you said. Like they, I didn't I didn't actually see him write anything that's kind of against like capitalism and stuff like that. Has he ever? Yes, he has. That's kind of what I think that was one of his major criticisms of um even in the Lee Kuan Yew video, one of the things he decries about Singapore is extreme wealth inequality. Yeah, it's one of his major gripes. Like, yeah, Singapore, you know, is is a very wealthy country, but extreme inequality and, and he um he's really politically a total, total on the left spectrum, commie. I mean, I find anarcho-communists to be totally, um, I mean, like, it's, it's an oxymoron. How can you have communism and no government? Precisely. That's what I was thinking as well. You know, it's it seems like it's quite impossible to be those two things, but okay. Uh, so j- let's let's go back a little bit more about like his mental illness. Just now you mentioned that, I, I forgot the words that you used, but you said he was a narcissist and something else? Uh, narcissist. Narcissistic personality disorder, for sure, right? He had these like um, delusions of grandeur. He mm-hmm. really thought he was the greatest gift to mankind. Um, and then he also, I, by most measures, had oppositional defiance disorder, which is just like re- rebellion for the sake of rebellion. Um, just somebody that never listens and just like he's allergic. Why, why don't people try to combat that? Uh, personality disorder by just telling them opposite of what you want them to do then they'll just do the opposite <laughs> like you should tell him hey Amos you should pee into bottles that that is the correct thing to do and then he would be like no I'm gonna use a toilet bowl <laughs> right <laughs> that's true you should be homeless and pathetic and not right. a pedophile no, the, the problem is you're still telling him so as long as you're telling him he starts to hate you then he just shuts oh. down because that's what happened that's what happened to me you know like I'm advising him as he's in prison like okay you know this is what you should do you're in america now advice mm-hmm. coming your way and it's like who are you you're not my mom like just you know and then he just shuts down and never wants to talk to you again so right um it's it's a, across the board just complete anti-authoritarian and and, and yeah that's just his personality I, I i just think that that is something that needs to be treated from young it mm-hmm. went on for too long he was I, I see this word used a lot in to describe him. He's incorrigible. And yeah, it's true. I, I you know, you have like a short window before that kind of behavior gets entrenched. They just let it spiral or, you know, I mean, I, I don't I really don't pity the parents. I do think he's a uniquely difficult person. I don't believe that they did everything right either. There were obviously things that could have been done to attenuate this kind of behavior. There must have been. I, I refuse to believe that, you know, this was fate, that he was fated to be a, a complete idiot. It's very sad how that turned out. Yeah. So just now you mentioned as well, like, you know, your friend was telling you about how he would talk to himself and stuff like that. Are there any other signs to show? I mean, besides his horrible behavior, are there any signs to show that he's like kind of cuckoo? Um, yeah, like he, he had these verbal tics, like, you know, when mm-hmm. they... When, they, when he first came out of prison, like the first thing you have to do, you have to go and open a bank account and all these things. So in public, like he would just be um, pacing quickly, talking to himself, like random outbursts, like uh, mm. Tourette's kind of Tourette-like. I don't want I don't know because he's never diagnosed. I'm hesitant to say it. But um, how much of it is maybe the effects of being locked up for so long because like actually it, mm-hmm. it turns out that in the US he was detained longer than in Singapore right so when he came in and I detained him to wait for the, the immigration case he was actually held for about five months and I think the total amount of time he was jailed in Singapore was 
I don't know, six, maybe like 14 weeks or something. In the end, he was detained in the U.S. far longer than, than Singapore, although technically that's not jail. That was just a detention facility. Right. Okay. I think I just asked you maybe two more questions. One more is that, you know, you did mention that you volu- you're going to, you're, you're volunteering to escort Amos back to Singapore if he were to be deported back, you know. So my question is, do you think he's actually going to be deported back because well, Singaporeans are hoping that he will not? And, um, you know, what would you say to him when you actually meet him again, if you meet him again? Good question about the deportation because there's some gray area there. Uh, I looked into this. So if he gets convicted, which I really hope he does, um, he will have to serve his jail term in the U.S. for sure. If more victims come forward, obviously then the case gets stronger and he's going to have to serve much longer time. Um, And then there's also the other factor. What happens when a pedophile gets convicted in jail? They are treated the worst. You know, and a skinny, scrawny, soy boy like Amos will be, I, I don't even want to imagine what's going to happen to him in that kind of jail, right? You, in the U.S., you've got all sorts of um, other people that are incarcerated there. They're a lot bigger and stronger than him. Right. Um, so there's that other, he's probably going to get roughed up quite a bit. Um, it's, it's like going to be worse than anything he's ever experienced. Like as if all his <laughs> jail over his lifetime wasn't bad enough living in a basement full of pee. He's going to get jail in the U.S., proper jail. That I cannot imagine what that's like. Um, so, you know, at that time he gets convicted, technically his, um, his green card, his asylum gets revoked. So he still has a Singapore passport that hasn't, uh, that hasn't been canceled because he never gave it up. Um, and you know, the, the question is when he gets released, what happens? Because the, when you get released from the prison system, it's a different jurisdiction that does the deportation. And my concern is that um, Chicago is actually a sanctuary city. And this gets into like crazy U.S. politics stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and depending on who is in power at the time, it might be that Amos does not get deported because it's hard to deport somebody in a sanctuary city. So there's less, there's no coordination between the agencies, right? Like the police department releases him. And then you have, um, you know, the, the federal agents, they didn't talk to the federal agents. They just left him and the federal agents don't know where he goes. Like, you know, nobody knows because they weren't there to get him. We don't know his address anymore. He disappeared. I mean, the U S is such a big country. He can disappear anywhere. Um, and who knows, it might be that he, it's hard to find him or politically, there is no political um, will to deport him because of political circumstances. So it might be that, you know, Singaporeans get their wish and he, he just kind of becomes a homeless bum or something. Oh no, we don't want him to be a homeless bum. We want, we want him to be in jail, US jail. No, he will be. He will hmm. be for sure. The question is how long, you know, I... That that is the question. Uh, okay, I I hope pedophile cases get tried, you know, and and that the book is really thrown at him. But you know, you never know. Like again, the climate of like the respectful law these days is kind of different. Right. Okay. Well, what about the um second part of the question? What would you say to him when you meet him? 
I don't know. I don't even really want. I honestly, I don't even want to meet him. Like, I, I, I would have such a hard time not to slap him. You know, the guy who slept outside the court. Like, I want to slap him, and especially because I have talked to the victim, so I actually know that person, right? Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I don't endorse violence. I don't even know what, what to. I, I cannot imagine just looking. I, mean, I see his photo now, and I, I'm just angry. I cannot imagine what I would say to somebody like that. There's almost nothing to say. It's just like you stupid. SOB. <laughs> I think if you uh, were to give him a, a, a tight slap, I think most Singaporeans would be very um, supportive of that. <laughs> I think a lot of people do want to slap him. Wait, but I, I mean, don't Singaporeans want him to serve jail time for a while though? Because he didn't serve NS actually. So if he gets deported, he goes back to Singapore and he doesn't serve jail again, right? Uh, that that I'm not too sure about. I guess we will see. <laughs> yeah, but I, I guess he did go AWOL. But if you did get asylum, maybe you're sort of excused from it. I'm not sure. Because if you didn't turn in that, that slip to... Um, Ministry of Defense, then you technically went AWOL, right? Okay, that's great then. So even if he comes back, yeah, I think most Singaporeans just, it's like, okay, well, that's US's problem. We don't care. And we just don't want him back in our soils. You know, it's just, it's irritating and horrible. Yeah. So, um, yeah. You know, imagine what he'll be like there too, like <laughs> causing more trouble. And um, look, I, I think I think I've gotten a lot more appreciative and and sympathetic about uh, even, you know, the draconian laws that exist in Singapore in a way, because, you know, even on speech, right, which I was a very big critic on, at least I can say one thing about Singapore's laws. It is consistent. You know, when when they outlaw all sorts of hate speech, uh, inciting racial violence and harming social stability, I have to say that they do apply. It's very transparent. Like when you go to Singapore, you know exactly what line you cannot cross. Sometimes it's up to some sort of mob rule because people can just file, you know, reports, right? Anyone who doesn't really like you can just file reports. But at the end, of, at the end of the day, you know, the law is like it's quite across the board, and it seems to be applied very consistently. It's in a way better than what we have here these days, which is almost like mob rule with the cancel culture, right? On online platforms that are inconsistent. Oh, they only apply, you know, the censorship under one case, but not at least in Singapore, it's across all racial groups. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're rich. I don't care if you're poor. Um, you know, although I, I would say in Amos's case, one of the reasons he got asylum was actually because the judge, the U.S. judge actually said that the law was inconsistently applied, that there was an MP that said something about Muslims and he was in charge, but Amos was. So therefore, they use that example as an example of political persecution. Obviously, this has got nothing to do with protecting mm -hmm. Muslim feelings. This had something to do with persecution. But, you know, obviously the way um, this case has evolved kind of made me woke up also to the fact that, like, at the end of the day, you know, yeah, I, I appreciate so much um, what Singapore... Like, building something is very hard. And building a country... You know, with all the variables that Singapore has to deal with, uh, multi-ethnic population and everything is difficult. And you can see today also that like what's happening in the U.S. is mirroring this like political evolution from the Amos Yee case for me. Because, you know, the U.S. is kind of going through a period where people are rioting, tearing down statues. You know, I, I look back, I look back at Singapore, stable Singapore, you know, every, everyone's just kind of. Uh, this is you never have to deal with this. You don't see this mob rule 
and it's rule of law. It's very clear. It's stable. And I, I definitely have a different appreciation for it. Like, and, you know, obviously this comes with also just probably getting older, um, you know, so mm-hmm. uh, all these things came together to definitely like made me really appreciate Singapore in a different way. Yeah, I think like, like what you said, I think most Singaporeans like, you know, when they're growing up, they're just like, okay, well, we're like a totalitarian government and stuff like that. But when you're growing older, you start to appreciate, okay, well, it's true that when you have big government kind of like, you know, um, you kind of nannying the whole state that certain things can be done more efficiently because they do have like um, the majority, uh, what's it, majority seat or something in the government, the parliament? Simple majority. Oh, sim- no, majority, simple majority or something like that. What? Okay, anyway, so because of that, they can pass laws better and, and more things can be done more efficiently. But at the same time, you know, it is a very really weird thing to have to have kind of what they call a benevolent dictatorship where you have big government but the government is not sort of taking advantage of this to kind of you know make themselves corrupt and wealthy and just driving everyone else into poverty so like what you said I don't think that it's something that can be replicated in other places very successfully um, yeah but I think most Singaporeans the young ones especially they don't really seem to appreciate something like that. So they are, they are kind of, the irony is that they are fighting for a lot of these um, American kind of like uh, culture, like culture wars. They want to kind of bring it here. So they're talking about, you know, racism and talking about minimum wage, which we don't have. Yeah, and, and stuff like that. So they, they kind of want to import all of that. And I'm just like, okay, looking in the States, you really want to import all of that here, you know? Yeah, but I guess that's kind of off topic, <laughs> nothing to do with Amos. Well, I, I mean, I... What was your, I'm actually curious, like, what was your position when Amos, like, were you, like, one of those, you know, people that, like, oh, my God, like, leave this guy, like, you should be long run in jail. Like, what was your position when the story first broke out? Well, I, I wasn't that into politics back then, so I wasn't so sure about what exactly happened. I found what he wrote to be very distasteful, and therefore I didn't like him as a person. I just felt like this kind... Um, so that was initially at the start. I, 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 do, I don't think that he should be jailed for it to a certain degree, Like, but I do think that, you know, it's like... Um, uh, how to say they, they they do it to everyone like what you say it's fair right so they do it to anyone who insults any religion they they have always been like that the rule has always been clear so you know he crossed the line and if he were to be apologetic about it and say you know uh, I understand that this is the place that I am born in these are the rules that are here that is chosen by democracy so and therefore I will abide by the rules of the society that I have to stay in I would be fine with him not going to jail I would fight for his freedom but it's more like after that, his actions really goes to show that he's really just a complete scumbag. And the, especially the way he treated the pastor was just unacceptable to me. Like, so it's so terrible. It really shows that he's really not a good person. And, and because he's not a good person, even if I think that he was unfairly treated, I don't care. It's like if you see Hitler getting hit by a bus or like getting murdered, you just wouldn't care because who cares? Nobody cares, you know, it's like it's it's like seeing a pedophile get raped in jail, right? Like, you know, if you're a child rapist, you rape like 10 children, you get raped in jail. Is it right? No, it's not. Nobody should be raped. But do I care? No. <laughs> so I guess that was, that was yeah, my point of view at that time. Yeah, well, you know, actually when you first came out uh, of prison, the, uh, after being held, sorry, not prison, but the ICE detention in, in the US, when you first came out of that, he had this like weird change of heart because somebody interviewed him. There was like a journalist from I think Reuters 
Thompson Reuters and they interviewed him when he got released. And he was like, oh, you know what? I definitely regret, you know, um, I think my style of uh, political dissent turned a lot of people away from the message. It was as if, again, like he has these periods where he he will show that he reflected on his actions. Mm-hmm. Um, but then nothing like it's all like just talk, you know, like he's somebody that just talks. And then like the action, there's no action. Like, you know, after um, he kind of disappeared for a while because obviously all the blogs were deleted, right? Like mm-hmm. all his social media stuff is deleted. And then I forgot about him for, you know, I mean, as I was working on this case, because I had to keep it very quiet, right? Didn't want to risk. If he knew about it, for example, he would just run. So all this stuff had to be quietly built, right? The case. And um, I forgot. I just kind of like ignored his online stuff. I never looked for him or whatever. And then suddenly somebody sent me, oh, did you know Amos is back? And I was like, what do you mean? He started a new blog. Um, He got a new website. He said he had a totally change of heart. You know, he reflected on himself, like he's he's being humble, like he realizes everything is wrong. I'm serious. You can go and look at it. He calls the website Polico, like P-O-L-O-C-L-E dot com. He wrote that, okay? And he's he's like, you know, I, I was terrible in the past, blah, 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 right? But I'm humble. And then you know, you know how he gets the word Polico? He calls himself, it's it's a it's a word combined, uh, two words combined, polymath and oracle. So you, you say you're humble, but you literally call your new blog Polymath Oracle. He says things, but then his actions never follow through. And, yeah. And that, that's just a consistent story of his life. He sounds really like a psychopath to me, actually. It's so crazy. And then that's the other psychological issue. Yeah. Which I don't think was explored, you know. He's right. like completely devoid of, of empathy and ability to read social cues. So I guess, final question, what advice would you give to Mary, uh, Amos's mom, you know, you know, now that he has zero support other than her, like what, what advice would you give to her? <sighs> I don't know. I think I, she needs to come out and say something publicly, you know, um, I, I, cause like she's going to live with this consequence already. She is right. Cause people really blame her for a lot of how things have gone. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know, maybe showing some sort of self-awareness will be good. But on the other hand, to be honest with you, I, I think Mary's very like a shy person. I don't know how educated she is. Um, I, I, you know, it's, I, I feel bad for her but on one hand, but I'm also like kind of angry um, on mm-hmm. the other hand, because obviously it played a very big role in just enabling and calling this child all the way to a teenager and now adult. I mean, the fact that she was, you know, supporting him, right? Like continuously, even when he ruined his own income streams, you know, like this is one way to get your child to obey, right? Is to like stop supporting him. Once you cut off the financial strings, he's completely dependent on you. Mm-hmm. Then you have a say in his life. I thought that's how it works, right? That's at least how it works with my parents. <laughs> you know, right. they, they had a say in my, my life as long as they were paying for anything. Um, but she never, I guess, made those hard decisions. Like sometimes tough love is is love. It, mm-hmm. It's, you know, for the outcome of your kid. Like it's it's still, it needs to be done. So, you know, I I I don't... I don't know if this is something that she should do is come out and talk to the public. She seems to be shy. Also at this point, heart humiliated at what her son has become. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously to, I'm sure if she talked about it publicly, that people would 
maybe see her side. Um, there, there's a big part of the story that's opaque because we don't really know Amos from young, but she does. There's a part yeah. of the puzzle, you know, that, that I think will illuminate a lot more about his psychological profile if she comes forward. So, I mean, mm-hmm. that's what I would encourage her to do. Yeah. Amos is going to go back to court on the 5th of November. So I guess everyone can just see how it goes after that. Um, thank you very much, Melissa, for being on the show. If there's no, but if there's no civil war in America, because there's election. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time to speak to us. You must be very busy now during the elections, right? You no, know, I, I would say like, thank you for having me because, you know, actually a few of the so-called alternative media she reached out wanting to do interviews and I didn't acquiesce to a single one but when you reached out I was like yes I, I, I do want to talk to you because I you know I, I know that um, your your perspective is, is I always find it refreshing because not many people are as outspoken about some of the things that I'm outspoken about um, mm-hmm. so I, I know we have that common touchstone um, and also know you're fair so yeah that's why I wanted I, I said yes thank you thank you for that it's a big honour <laughs> okay so to all of you guys listening thank you very much for tuning in and we'll see you next time bye oh my god I am mega triggered